I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered, the podcast dedicated to all things younger. My guest today is the writer responsible for Diana Trout reciting erotica and Liza Miller dancing with a houseplant, Miss Ashley Skidmore. Hey, girl. Oh, my God. Hey, girl. I feel like when I watch Younger, I'm just watching your life story. Thank you so much for <laughs> noticing. You're welcome. You are right. I know I am. Okay, so some pretty major things happened last night that yes. we we're going to discuss. Oh, yeah. But first, you've written quite a few episodes of Younger. Oh, my God. Thank you. What's your process like in preparing to write an episode? I mean, it's so a group effort in the younger room. Yes. So I honestly don't have like a super unique special process. I just love to like sit and listen to everybody say things and I just copy down everything that they're saying <laughs> and I steal all of their jokes. No, I honestly, it's been kind of funny because I've been working on the show since season one. So I have like binders and binders of rejected pitches and things <laughs> that didn't necessarily fit into stories. So oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like I like to go through my binders and I have like an entire binder full of vagina jokes, for example. Ooh. You probably will cut this out. No, please. Um, we will definitely keep this Okay, in. <laughs> well, you know, it's a 27-page document, so I'll send you the PDF. <laughs> but I like to read through that just to see if there are any jokes in there that I can incorporate and you know just kind of reading through stuff I've I've jotted down through the years well speaking of you being on the show for six seasons I have been on has yeah. anything changed about the way that you approach writing an episode over the course of six seasons oh my god everything I mean I was a child when I was hired to this show I was 23 wait is that true yeah 23 and so I feel like this has been like my grad school honestly learning from Dottie and Eric and Darren I mean like come on and everybody that's come in and out of the rooms it's been like I've taken little pieces of all of their processes, but mainly, of course, Darren, just watching the master at work. I've just, I feel like I try and copy him. Where did you start with this episode and how did the story develop? Oh, my God. What a good question. I mean, the season arc, as I'm sure at this point, you guys have kind of noticed what's going on. It was obviously born out of that. All the fun moments. Um I feel like I've been craving a Josh and Charles moment forever. Even that punch was like a very like erotically charged moment to me. <laughs> and I was like, I want to see the boys back together. How can we do that? And we were like, I don't know. Let's just make drugs happen. Drugs. You know? Yes. <laughs> Whatever has to happen. And here we are. So... So the episode ended with a twist when yes. Charles decided to sell Mercury to Millennial yes. for cheap, merging the companies into one big happy family again. Yes, that's right. Was this twist in the story always planned as part of the arc of the season, or do you know where you want to end up and let the story just unfold organically? You know, that's a really good question. This was actually all all, all Darren's um, idea, the $1.00 genius he came into the season with this um already kind of like in his brain no kidding i know he's such an intuitive guy uh he just was like i feel like this is really going to hit home i'm not really sure how we get here but this is how we we should land kind of mid-season is that a usual thing that he does is he always come in with like these little like easter eggs ready to plant or not necessarily not necessarily that's why it's so um it's so valuable when he does have something like this and we can just kind of build up to a moment like that like he was very specific about the one dollar moment we were like oh I'm not really sure like how do we achieve like how do we earn that basically and I really do feel like you know for the past five episodes we've been earning it oh hell yes you know what I mean with the family vibe and like building Charles's character to value that more at this point is just we didn't see it necessarily but it came into focus as we started talking were you glad to see the characters like on the same page again honestly I pitched it to happen way earlier because I was like I don't want dad to be away from everybody (laughs) 
it went through so many iterations, honestly. These moves were very fragile. So we really had to play it the right way. I, I hope we accomplished it. Um, but we really wanted to show that, you know, Charles gave up everything for love, but also he does still value himself. So it's like, you know, this like struggle of the alpha male, you know. And why is that important to the story? Well, that's a really good question. I think that the overarching sense, I'm sure the viewers have, you know, wondered themselves. It's like, is Liza repeating herself um, with her old life? And I think that it's really important to build out Charles this season because we want to show that this is not another David. This is not who she was before. Right. You know, this guy is somebody that values Liza and somebody that values himself and the world at large. And also, you know, frankly, Kelsey, who is, you know, his daughter in my mind. Yeah. And also in his mind. Exactly. Let's talk about the microdosing retreats. Yes, yes. Where did this idea to send Liza Charles and Josh to a psychedelics retreat come from? Honestly, I cannot <laughs> tell you how we got Josh there. I have I have no recollection uh. of how that even happened. I think that it ended up being, I'm pretty sure in the last cut there, that um, Liza was like, am I hallucinating right now that Josh is walking down the hall? But um, he really was there. The microdosing, I think, has been something that we've wanted to do for quite some time. Why? Well, because getting (laughs) the drugs in the story is always going to be good. I mean, the Molly episode, you get so many fun things when our characters are out of their minds and like out of character. How did the cast react when they learned that they'd be playing, quote unquote, high? Loved it. They loved it. I mean, especially Nico. I got to say, Nico was like, thank you. I mean, Nico always literally thanks me because I also did the gender fluid episode last year. Yes. So Nico will like be like, can you come here? Just... Do you write with Nico in mind or do you, are you just like-minded? I think that we're just like-minded. We really, we have a lot of things in common, but also like, you know, Hillary also has a lot to say about that. Anybody in my age group has yeah. been like, oh, this is so in the zeitgeist. Totally. Yeah. Um, what was it like at the table read? Oh my God. It was so great. I mean, it was funny because... <laughs> So when, when Peter and Nico started acting it out, they were really slow about it, which um, I, I guess I hadn't specified at that point that it's not going to be um, weed. And I think that they both had it in their mind that they were going to be like, slow. I know. So the scene took like 25 minutes to get through. And we were like, OK, we need to have them on uppers. We're going to have them on <laughs> uppers. And so the scene turned out beautiful. Well, speaking of that, so how much of what Liza experiences when she's high yes. is actually based on experience? from the writer's table. Oh my God, (laughs) totally. I I believe that originally Maureen was crafted um, because somebody at the table had done drugs. Man, I can't remember right now. Do you remember what the drugs were? Mushrooms. Gotta be mushrooms. I I don't know. Oh my God, neither do I actually. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I mean, you know, little things have come through my life, but I've never done like a trip. Tripping's scary. I I know. There are things that happen. You know, it's food poisoning, essentially. Just go to like a really cheap sushi restaurant. Same thing. It's tripping your face off. (laughs) Exactly. Now you get it. How do you, do they like call people who have done drugs yeah i have enough experience that i could get by a little bit i mean the thing was we we wanted to play it and also like standards and practices wanted us to like really remember it's just microdosing which is honestly not like going there right so microdosing itself is like you know i could be microdosing right now um and like it's a very it's a thing that you can still be very um active on Mm -hmm. We were trying to play that Liza just was a super taster. So she is the is just having a unique experience, which I myself am a super taster. What's a super taster? A super taster is when you um, 
you digest basically the drugs too fast. Okay. So like you get like a full-blown experience. Maybe it's like the same thing as like if you have a glass of champagne, you're yes, drunk. I'm like that. Yeah. I am not. Oh my God, you're so lucky. <laughs> In this episode, Liza admits that she still thinks about Josh romantically yes. and acknowledges that he and Charles each bring something different to her life. That's right. So um, where do you fall on the Josh versus Charles debate? I'm sorry, I have to ask I you. I mean, listen, I think through writing this episode, it made me evenly in the middle. I started the episode Team Josh. I really did. I'm not surprised. But interesting that you're like dead smack in the middle now. I am dead smack in the middle because I do think these men bring out different parts of Liza. I am like, I I wish in a perfect world all three of them could be in a relationship together. But it really is like, it's two different Liza's. I mean, she is a younger, more youthful, vibrant Liza when she's with Josh. And then with Charles, she like locks into this, you know, like fulfilled woman that she never was with David that she set out to be in the first place. So, you know, I'm really struggling, honestly. Why is it important to the story that both these men remain in her life? I think that she hasn't really figured out which Liza she wants to be. I think that she has a choice. I think she gets to be the Liza that's in bed with the readers and like, you know, looking at articles all the time and taking the girls to school for Charles and like being a mom again, frankly, with with him. Or she can be this like single independent Liza in Josh's life. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that she quite knows at this moment where she wants to go. It's like for me, I'm like, that's just like the female debate. It's like, which Ashley do I want to be? You know, do I want to be the adult Ashley or do do I want to keep going out and being cool? Which one? Obviously the first one. I mean, (laughs) look at me. (laughs) I'm like already ready for bed. It's five o'clock. The tap dancing scene was stunning. Thank you so much. So much fun to watch. How and more importantly, why did you decide to do that? God, what a good question. Listen, I am a musical theater girl through and through. There it is. Through and through. Since season one I've been like what if we make Liza like kind of sing and Darren's like no it's in her contract she's not allowed to sing but on set I will say I was looking around and everybody looked at me after the first rehearsal of when she like skips off and then it like morphs into the the dance scene um everybody looked at me after the rehearsal and I was like I'm gonna be fired this is my last day as a writer in Hollywood and you're like but it was worth it but it was worth it because it was so fulfilling to see that happen how did the cast react when they found out that they were dancing on the show they loved Peter and Nico, oh my God, they just don't make men like that anymore. They're such wonderful guys. I mean, they were so excited to tackle it. And Peter's not super duper a dancer, but he was so amazing on set. Like he tried so hard and he did such a great job. But I mean, obviously just like Sutton is just dancing all the time. Like yeah. she just won, she's walking, she's doing a tap dance number. So it was like, it was just nice to see it all come together. What was the energy like on set uh, the day that they were shooting the dancing scene? Oh my God, it was electric. We were in a sound stage, like the, one of the ones we never ever use and everybody was on um, and just had to be quiet. It was just like so beautiful and magical and there were like little shining stars everywhere. It was one of my more favorite days on set for sure. Aside from you being terrified that it was your last day on set, yes, sure. <laughs> uh, what was it like for you and the crew watching? It, it was magical. It was really beautiful. I mean, nobody could deny that it was like we were on like a Broadway set. It was truly so special. Also in this episode, Diana, uh, she is the audiobook voice for the seasoned slut. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Tell me about writing those lines from the book for her to read. And did you read romance novels in research of this? Of course I did. I also actually, I want to say 
three seasons ago, maybe two seasons ago, wrote an episode about romance novels as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. What was it? Anyway, it was about romance novels uh-huh. as well. So I'm just fascinated by romance novels and how serious they are and what a giant market it is. Remarkable. A lot of horny peeps <laughs> up in these streets. Ladies love a one-handed read. <laughs> <laughs> so they call them. Miriam Shore's delivery is always so funny. Was there a lot of laughter at the table read or on set during those scenes? I mean, yes. It's like, do I even have to ask that question? Thank you so much. They honestly, at one point, Miriam was like, this might be too gross. Would you mind? giving me some alts and I gave her some alts and she was like honestly I'm gonna go back to the gross one but it was funny because like Darren kept instructing me he was like make sure that she like for real does it though like make it erotica and I was like okay so whenever um Miriam uh, who was just magically always funny oh always anytime she'd veer off I'd be like okay do it again but for real like really do it so I think it turned out so well because of that direction what percent do you think there is that she actually is a reader of these novels oh my god a a thousand percent (laughs) Miriam definitely (laughs) knowing Miriam oh my god she's so funny after six seasons you know the cast so well I do do you have each of their voices and styles of mind when you're writing for those characters you know I think that Obviously, Lauren is the easiest one for me to write. So would you say you like our Lauren? Yes, yeah. I do. I think so. Oh, I, I really Lauren do think so. Lauren is just a good time gal. Oh my God, thank you so much for saying that. I really do think so. I think that um, Lauren and Kelsey and Josh are pretty easy. Liza and Diana. Charles has been hard for me to write. Always or recently? Um... Always, I will say, I don't have any experience being an older straight white man. That's so weird. I'm shocked. It is weird. I need to do more research somehow. Maybe I'll try and occupy one of their bodies or something. (laughs) But it is, it's hard. I mean, it is, it does put it into perspective for me when um, men write for women and it's like, oh, that doesn't seem authentic. And I'm like, oh, that's because it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) So you actually feel bad for those poor guys writing for the women. I was always mad. And now I'm like, oh, they just don't know. Because I don't know. I don't know how to write for Peter. Is there any place that you can go to, like, to get kind of that white, rich dude energy? No. I mean, like, (laughs) kind of with um, the men on staff. But even then, it was like Eric and Darren, they're both so sensitive. I mean, I guess so is Charles. But, you know, he had to be kind of more alpha this year. Yes. And those guys are just, like, very sensitive, sweet, wonderful men. So whenever he'd have to say something edgy, it would always go way over the top because none of us are edgy. And so we would always have to, like, kind of pull it back. And Eric would help me a lot with the male dialogue, which I think is so funny and such a twist. Okay, so that brings us to one of my favorite things to do in this podcast. We break down a scene from last night's episode. So let's talk about the scene where Maggie, who's been painting her ceiling in a harness, suddenly falls and is left there dangling. First off, just break the scene down, like, start to finish. Oh, my God. Well, the funniest part of this entire scene is this has been in the storage since season one. We have been trying to fit it into this show literally in every single place that we could. And finally, I made some kind of math equation and pitched it to Darren. And I was like, it's a shift in perspective. (laughs) And he was like, oh, actually, that works. We're going to do it finally. And that's what was like the concept behind her painting the ceiling in the first place. I mean, we originally had it that she was... (laughs) 
that she was left hanging upside down for like 72 hours. Which oh my God. She died. I, you know, I, I did some research <laughs> and we had her like snorting awake because she kept passing out because the blood would go to her head. I know. Crazy. <laughs> and her boob was out at one point and blurred. So it's all, it's really morphed through the years, uh-huh. but it's always been like a room inside joke. So it was so fulfilling to actually put it on page finally. Where did the idea originally, originally come from? Maggie getting hogtied. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things because like three o'clock rolls around and all the snacks have been eaten and we're just saying stupid shit to each other. I mean, you you actually wouldn't believe some of the pitches that we have in our in our storage. Binders. Tell me. Honestly, the okay, craziest, the craziest. Oh, my God. This probably was one of the crazier ones. The way that we originally had it, that she like basically died. Um, what else? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That Charles. <laughs> we were going to have. We were going to have Charles like body swap at some point with Josh in some kind of dream. We we did finally do something like that in my episode. Uh But he was going to like live a day as Josh or something insane. We just say stupid things to each other. (laughs) We have too much time in the writer's room to make each other laugh. What was important for you to capture as the scene came to life? Um, It was important to capture the um, neighbor. I think that is the funniest part of being in New York. It's just like calling oh. out to someone and you're in di- like just need for somebody to come help you and somebody's just going to jerk off to you. <laughs> that is just like the perfect New York moment to me. Tell us about shooting the scene with Debbie. She's she's a genius. She's so funny because she'll just she <laughs> I think I have a video of her being hoisted up on the harness and she's just like smacking her gum while she's doing it. And she's just like literally laying back casually as they're just like hoisting her up. Wait, did she do her own stunt? She did most. Yeah. I'm, wow. I, I know. I know. She's so funny because like. Well, I also did the episode last year where Sutton had to slip and fall on the ice yeah. on her ass. Um, and we did bring in a stunt woman for that. And that was like traumatic for me to see because it was like so much of a stunt that um, I guess I always have stunts in my episodes. Anyway. Is that intentional? I don't think so. I love physical humor. Yeah. So now I'm wondering. I actually didn't even put that together that I had that last year. Did Debbie have fun with it or was it tough to shoot? Totally. Yeah. What's funny is we actually did that scene and also the dancing scene on the same day. Oh, damn. It was the last day of of my block and it was was just so much fun. The crew, we don't talk about them enough. It's been kind of the same crew through the years. They're just like so funny and light and keep it so fun whenever we have like hard days like that and it was the easiest were there any fun interesting like shocking stories from that shooting day Peter Lauer directed my episode, so he is funny. He does so much prep work, and he loves this kind of thing. So nothing was out of the ordinary for that shooting day. We did have some weird surprises when we were up in Chappaqua um, shooting for the microdosing retreat. Oh, tell. Oh, I brought my little dog with me, Pickles. Um, he's like a little chihuahua mix, and he's silent, so I can bring him everywhere. And nobody even knows he's there. Oh. I know. It's pretty great. It's no pretty barking great. at all? Zero. Mute dog. He's a mute dog. I know. I almost feel sad for him. I'm like, speak up for yourself, son. <laughs> um, but there was one take that he like ran through the take. But there were so many extras ha- like there <laughs> that you didn't see it on camera. But it was one of these moments where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be fired. This is the end of my career. I'm 29. <laughs> 
<laughs> and how do you work with the director on set? You were just saying. Yes, Peter. I mean, I've worked with Peter a couple times now. He is, oh my God, I love him so much. He's so funny and weird. And like, yeah. he is the king of the storyboard. So he really has everything set out already. And it's just like, once we start shooting, it's it's just smooth sailing with him. That's awesome. But between takes, we'll just like, he'll just turn around and we'll start, you know, shooting the shit about like what's on the news or whatever. And then everybody else joins in. It's just so much fun. I can't believe this is a job. And then you get scared because you're like, I don't yep. want a, a regular one. I know. And then I'm like, maybe I need it because of like every day I need to somewhere to go. You know, like, do I? Um, tell me about the decision to have the neighbor get off, literally, on yeah. seeing Maggie hanging there rather than calling for help. Oh, man. It's just funnier. I don't know. Yeah. It's and, it's, and it is so New York. It is like you so said. New York. I mean, I've had plenty of neighbors that accidentally saw me doing something. Like what? Uh, sex, having sex. That's what, this is the only <laughs> thing that, that you do <laughs> when you're in New York. And like my curtains weren't drawn and I was like, huh, do I stop and go close the curtain or do I just keep going? And the decision was? Always keep going. Always keep it's going. It's too far away and they already saw the things. So whatever. I don't, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? It's New York. Okay, so we're almost out of time. But before we go, I want to ask you the five questions I ask all the younger writers. Okay. How often do your own personal experiences end up in a script? Almost a thousand percent. Can you give an example? Okay, um, let's see. So, oh, okay, last year in in the gender um, queer episode with Tam being like, oh my God, you're like, I feel bad for millennials. Yes, yes. You guys. Tam's Gen Z. That's right. Yeah. That's correct. And like, oh, you're so old, millennials. Yeah, exactly. Anything that happens to Lauren, basically, I mean, like when she dated that Dr. Max and she was like, oh my God, am I basic for dating a man? (laughs) I've said those words. (laughs) Being afraid of being basic for being bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite scene or line you've written for Younger? Um, definitely Shiksa and the Mikvah. Yeah, that was that was a good day. It was it was an actually a nightmare day. I don't know why I just said that. It, we were in like the basement of this apartment complex, and it was like maybe a thousand degrees. Oh, I know, but it was just so funny. You know, have you ever had to fight for something to get into an episode? And actually, yes. we talked about this earlier. Oh, yes, totally. Maggie. I mean, absolutely. For the Maggie, I mean, it was easy to get that one in because Darren just laughed and laughed and laughed when I when we brought that back up and that, that it would fit in finally. But I will say last year, a joke that I really, I never, ever, ever fight with Darren. But there was one joke that um, Caitlin texted Liza and was like, hey, um, you know, or Liza was like, let's meet up for lunch. And Caitlin was like, new phone, who dis? <laughs> And Liza's like, excuse me, this is your mother. And Caitlin goes, Mom, I know it's a joke. This is like what young people say. So then later in the episode, Liza references it when Reese's people call and she picks up her phone and goes, new phone, who dis? <laughs> and um, like that, like an old person, you know, even like though. an old person. I'm exactly. so scared for when I can't pull shit off anymore. Oh, I know. Who dis? Who, new phone, who dis? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So because Darren did not understand that joke, and it was one of the few times he's ever been like, no, we're cutting it. And I came back to him and I was like, <laughs> hey, we're not going to cut this. And he was like, I don't think it's funny. And I was like, how about this? I bet you that every single person will laugh at the table read. And if they do, it goes in the episode. And he goes, okay, I'll take that bet. And everybody laughed in the episode. And she was like, okay, it's going in in the episode. That's the best. Which character would you most want to hang out with in real life? Nico. Nico's not a character. Oh, I'm sorry. Nico's not a character. Nico's a human man. Oh, my God. I'm confusing everything. Josh. I think Josh. Josh. I really do. Why? You know why? Because I don't have any straight white men in my life that I've never had a romantic 
um, problem with. I feel like Josh and I would not romantically get along. Why? um, Because he's kind of a player. Okay. And, you know, he's trying to figure himself out still. Yes. And I just feel like, honestly, the real truth is, like, especially last year, he was always like, Liza. Like, he was just, like, always pining. Yes. And men like that, I'm like, I just, I don't get it up for. Do you yep. know what I mean? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I need a man that's like, I don't care. So I feel like Josh would be a really good friend to have. I love that Do answer. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Just, like, I would love to have a straight white male friend that I like. <laughs> I feel like I would like him. Uh, what's the best thing about working on the show? Oh, everybody on staff. It's the it's the best job. Like, I do not say that lightly. It's the best. Everybody is, like, such a family. And I've because I've been there since the beginning, it's like they've seen me grow from, like, a 23-year-old little shithead <laughs> into a 29 older shithead. You know, it's really – it's nice. It's been just crazy that, that this is a job. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for your insights into the Younger Writers Room. It's always so much fun to talk to you. I can't wait to see where the rest of the season is going. Oh, thank you for having me in here. I'll be right back here after next week's episode and every new episode to unpack it all. I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. <laughs> 